Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you being influenced? If you watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, then there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. Jesse Kelly here. If you're in a situation where you feel threatened, instinct may drive you to reach for lethal means immediately. But we all want to avoid the irreversible consequences of deadly force. Enter the Berna Less Lethal Pistol Launcher equipped with tear gas and kinetic ammo to incapacitate an attacker for up to 40 minutes. It's legal in all 50 states, requires no background checks, and can be shipped right to your door. Visit Berna.com slash Jesse now for an exclusive 10% discount. Nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries or maybe a quarter tank of gas. You know what it will get you, though? For just 20 bucks a month, you can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data from my sponsor and my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Make the switch today and save an additional 50% off your first month. Choose a wireless company who shares our values. Go to puretalk.com slash jesse to switch today so you can actually afford that burger and fries. That's puretalk.com slash jesse. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. This is the Jesse Kelly Show.
little thought experiment, a brief one. I want you to picture that you've never seen an elephant before in your life. And when I say never seen, I mean you are in ancient times. Ancient times. There's no TV. There's no radio. You're not getting National Geographic magazine. You've never seen one. You've heard rumors about them, but you've never seen one. Now, an elephant is standing in front of you. What are you thinking? You don't ever think about this, right? What are you thinking? Um, okay, so apparently we have monsters in the world, right? What would you be thinking? Huge tusks, ears, it's gigantic, it can squash you like a bug. Uh, did I wish someone had told me there were actual monsters, because that's a monster. Now I want you to imagine that elephant wants to murder you, and you have a spear. That is what we're about to talk about today. Yeah, it's going to be sweet. Hannibal Barca. I am extremely saddened to announce that while I love Hannibal, he's one of my favorite people in the history of the world, that I was, while I was doing some reading and such, yeah, I, I know how to read. I don't like to brag. While I was doing some reading, I discovered that Hannibal Lecter, the character from the Silence of the Lambs movies, is actually more Googled than Hannibal Barca, and it made me want to swan dive off a building. Um, Hannibal was not a serial killer from a scary movie. Hannibal Barca is one of, if not the greatest generals who ever lived, but made a colossal mistake and it ended poorly you see let us rewind briefly we are in the mediterranean world now this is long before the discovery of america yes i know the indians were already here then probably but this is long before the discovery of america we're talking 300 bc 200 bc time frame Slightly before Julius Caesar's time, but we are in the Mediterranean. And you need to understand, Rome exists. Rome is extremely powerful at this time, but Rome is not Rome yet. Rome is the young bull. Rome is the up-and-coming fighter who's beating the crap out of everybody they face. But there aren't Rome that you know of yet. The old, salty, heavyweight champion of the world at this time was Carthage. Carthage, I do not expect you to know where that is. If you know, you know that little boot of Italy? And Sicily is that little island you see right off the west coast of the end of Italy's boot. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Draw a line directly south from that to northern Africa. It's modern-day Tunisia. And that is where Carthage was. And Carthage was a naval juggernaut. 
they were fabulously wealthy. They ruled the Mediterranean. And as a brief side note, trading, we don't give a lot of thought to trading today because we're so disconnected from it. It's human nature, right? What do you do when you want uh, pepper? Well, you head on down to the grocery store and buy some pepper. That's what you do. Well, this is a different era with different kinds of mobility. You are limited to whatever is grown around you. And if you want something that's not grown around you, it has to be shipped in. Now, that is quite a lucrative business if you're the one doing the shipping because nobody, even ancient people, want to grow up eating only the salt they can grow, they find in their minds in kumquats. You want strawberries and grapes and cinnamons and peppers and silks, and trading was enormous. And because they were a naval power, they were traders and they were rich. So rich, they didn't even really have much of a standing army because they were so fabulously wealthy. They would just go to their various territories and hire mercenaries whenever they needed an army. Good mercenaries, not not junk. The best. Now, you remember that little island of Sicily I told you about? Well, Rome pretty much has it. Carthage has some of it, a little bit of it. I'm not going to go into all the details. And Hannibal's father's name was Hamilcar. He was, I know it's sweet. He was a sweet general. Rome wanted them out of Sicily. Hamilcar was given jack for resources from Carthage, who wasn't really into it. They were just like, oh, just kind of. Just kind of guerrilla fight them. Hold them off for a little while. And then we, all we want is this war, this, quote, war to end. And all we want is basically the territories we already have. So just hold them off for a while. Be enough of a nuisance. Win enough battles. And then we want to come to peace terms. Hamilcar was not come to peace terms guy. Hamilcar was I would like to kill every man, woman, and child guy and then stand on their dead corpses. However, he was not given the resources to do so. He was embittered about this. Finally, after 23 years, this war ends. Now, I know you're probably a little bit stunned that any war could last 23 years. Understand something? Anytime a war lasts 23 years, even in ancient times, what it's really telling you is, There was never really a big fight. It's like a boxing match that goes 15 rounds. There was some great action, but there was never a skull-crushing blow landed. Otherwise, it wouldn't have lasted 15 rounds. When a war goes 23 years, it tells you they never really squared off in a huge engagement. Hamilcar did awesome with his guerrilla forces. The Romans never backed off. Long story short, Carthage loses after 23 years. Rome puts what it thinks are crippling sanctions on Carthage. It's, I mean, Rome levels sanctions on them, and they're like, well, I guess that's going to take care of Carthage. They're never going to be able to pay that off. And Carthage was all, yeah, here's your money after a few years. They were just wealthy. 
So Rome hated Carthage. Carthage hated Rome. But you know who really, really hated Rome? Hamilcar's sons. You see, Hamilcar was nicknamed the Lion, which who among us doesn't want to be nicknamed the Lion? That's my new nickname, Chris. Jesse the Lion Kelly. And Hamilcar had sons. And how sweet is this? His sons were called the Lion's Brood. And one of those sons, they were all great generals. They were, they were awesome. One of those sons turned out to be a star, turned out to be special. And by all accounts, Hamilcar could tell early on, here's the problem, though. You are in Carthage. It is a barbaric, horrific society where they take their sons often up to a platform They worship the god Moloch, and they throw their sons down into the fire when they're nine or ten years old. So it's Hannibal's turn to be thrown into the fire. It goes a different route. Remember, as we go through our little tale today, working our way up to the Battle of Zama, the Carthaginians are not saints. The Carthaginians were a monstrous society. They have found mass graves of children. They were big on child sacrifice. And not just babies, which is horrific Two, obviously, maybe the most horrific thing, but they would wait until a young man would get nine, ten years old, and the parents would lead him up. The, the, the elites of society would do this, would lead their child up and throw them into burning ash. Just horrible people. That's, let's set that aside for now. <laughs> let's just, let's, don't shed any tears when we start talking about dead Carthaginians. Let's just put it that way. The Hamilcar, instead of sacrificing young Hannibal, tells him at the age of nine years old that he must take an oath and that his oath is he will fight and kill Romans until the day he dies. Picture that at nine years old. What were you doing at nine? I was... Playing with ALF cards as we road tripped across the state. I was watching Captain Planet on television, eating Doritos and bacon sandwiches while I watched The Price is Right, shooting squirrels, playing basketball poorly. Young Hannibal, his general father, was kneeling down in front of him, forcing him to commit the rest of his life to murdering Romans. (laughs) Just a different mentality. Now... Hannibal Hannibal was good at it. Hannibal was, look, that's how he was raised. This was a man who grew up in military campaigns, grew up learning from his father, grew up getting to know warriors and the ways of warriors and the different ways you can fight. And these weren't 
the barbaric tribes the Romans would fight. These weren't the, the Gauls or the Germans. Carthaginians were advanced, wealthy. Again, you would call them still, even having lost the First Punic War, you would probably call them the heavyweight champ of the day so far, probably. Carthage is legit. Now, Hannibal takes an army because they have to pay off this Roman debt, right? And he cruises over to Spain with his army. Spain is, again, I don't want to confuse things here, but Spain is kind of Carthage's, but kind of Rome's, depending on which part of Spain you're in. Hannibal starts snapping up silver mines over there, which the slaves were working. It was not... That was not duty you wanted, I will tell you that much. You did not want to go to the mines as a slave back in the day. And all of these empires were run on slaves. There were no saints here. None. Eventually, Hannibal starts eyeing up this city. This city that is under Roman protection. Now, again, let me explain. This is not a Roman city. But being under Roman protection was a big, big deal back in the day. It was something everybody in the world took deadly serious. Most definitely the Romans. They viewed it as their reputation and honor being on the line. You remember that line from the New Testament where Apostle Paul is about to get flogged or did get flogged. I forget the exact details of the story. Don't strike me down, Lord. I'm sorry. And Paul says to them, are you allowed to do this to a Roman citizen? And basically, they all crap themselves when he says that. "Uh, uh, You're a Roman? Uh, Sorry. Sorry. You know where that comes from? It wasn't just cities. It wasn't just, you know, other nations. If you were a Roman citizen, it was hands off, Jack. Or Rome will come and decimate your whole daggone town. Being a Roman citizen was considered sacred. The Romans considered it very sacred. It was a big, big deal. You don't just get to flog a Roman citizen. You don't get to push around a Roman citizen. Or we'll, level, we'll lay waste to your whole place. Kind of cool when you think about it. Well, if they were that protective of an individual, how protective of an, a whole city do you think they would be? Very. So as young Hannibal, keep in mind, Hannibal was 20 Five years old when he took command of the entire army, and they loved him. They practically worshipped him. Hannibal eyes up the city. City's under the protection of Rome. City says, "Uh, hey, Rome, have you seen this freaking guy? He is beating everybody up over here, and it looks like he wants to come here. So Rome, because they're Rome, and arrogance is the name of their game. They go over and... Not literally, mind you, but they poke a finger in Hannibal's chest and say, hey, back off, Jack. This is our city. Now, you remember who we're dealing with here, right? How effective do you think that threat was? Hannibal said, yeah, I'll I'll get right on that. And then he promptly laid waste to that entire city. Laid waste to it. Put it under siege. By the time the Romans even got there to defend it, it was too late. It was a wasteland. And Hannibal decided, you know what, let's go ahead and get this thing on. Italy was a difficult place to get to by this point, however, and here's why. 
You remember I said Carthage was a trading city earlier? Well, they still are a trading city. But part of the reason the First Punic War took so long was Carthage ruled the seas. It was a big deal then as it is now to to rule the seas. You control all the shipping lanes. You control what comes and goes. You can blockade ports. You can starve people. It's a big deal. Britain has made a living on ruling the seas for hundreds of years. Well, part of the way through the First Punic War, Rome, because Rome is amazing, just kind of decided, you know what? I think we're going to rule the seas, which... If that sounds a little ridiculous, it is. And any other society in history would think it was. But bear in mind, Romans were different. They were obsessed with philosophy and science and engineering. Rome was in so many ways the peak civilization of all time. And before you roll your eyes and be like, ah, but Rome fell, you'll get these idiot college kids these days. They'll say things like that to you, Chris. Yeah, look what happened to the Romans. You you understand how long the Roman Empire lasted, right? (laughs) You get that, like, nothing comes close to that. The The Romans were legit. That people who existed hundreds of years after the Roman Empire fell, there are stories about this. They would come across things like the Roman aqueduct, and they would say, who is this from the gods? Who built these? Hundreds of years after the Roman Empire fell. That's reality. And because they were those kind of people, they were the kind of people who could just decide, you know what? I'm tired of them ruling the seas. We're going to rule the seas instead. And so they jacked a Carthaginian boat. And copied it a million times over and just somehow improved it. And now, by the Second Punic War, Rome rules the seas because that's how Romans did business. And now Hannibal has an issue. He's in Spain. He wants to get to Italy. He cannot sail to Italy. However, at the north of Italy, there is a bit of a problem. That problem is called the Alps. And one man by himself bundled up would probably die crossing the Alps. Hannibal has 80,000 men and elephants and needs to get across the Alps. So he's just going to go back home, right? No. This is Hannibal. I'm not going to do the entire journey of Hannibal because, let's be honest, I love him so much. I'm going to do Hannibal a lot, and I mean a lot. But Hannibal crossing the Alps is one of the great non-battlefield military feats in the history of mankind. It is one of those things we don't have enough written down about it. 
to have all the details. But picture this. We're talking areas where you have to build a pass so your elephants can walk through. Oh, and when I said non-battlefield, it's full of tribes trying to murder you the entire time. Oh, and you're freezing to death. See, he crossed with 80,000, they say. And they say about a third of his army actually survived the trip. Which means you're done, right? He comes out of the mountain pass and he's done. But he's not done. Hannibal, he was just great at it. He was just amazing. The Romans at this time are the land force in the world. And they obviously got word. Uh, there's some psychopath coming through the pass. I swear he has a whole army too. And they're, they're like, what? All right. They send an army up there. And Hannibal just did little things that were amazing. I'll, I'll go over this battle in detail another day. But it, it was freezing up there. And Hannibal covered his guys in oil, which helps you stay warm. And then he positioned his guys on the other side of a freezing river and made the Romans charge through the freezing river so they were basically hypothermic by the time they got to him. It was just genius. And they outnumbered him. And Hannibal beat the crap out of him. And Rome, because their Rome, was like, well, yeah, this time, let's try that again. And they sent another huge army up there. And Hannibal wipes them out. Wipes them out in one of the great ambushes, the greatest ambush by a mile of all time. The Battle battle of Lake Tresemme. And now Rome is really mad and they're like, okay, we've had enough of this. Let's send another gigantic army up there. Screw this. Screw this guy. We're done messing around. And he was way outnumbered this time. It was like thirty-five to 40,000 versus I think 70,000. He surrounded them and killed them all. Only when I say all, there were some who escaped. Very few, but some who escaped. One of those men who were there and studied Hannibal and saw him pull off probably the most brilliant battlefield tactic in history as a smaller army surrounded a larger army that was thought previously to be impossible. Again, I'm not going to go into details on this one because it's awesome and it's, it's like a whole show. But young, one young Roman who was there, his name was Scipio. Remember that. Well, now Hannibal has wiped out not one, not two, but three gigantic Roman armies. Which would normally, at virtually any other point in history, end a war. In fact, Hannibal thought it ended this one. He thought, well... I guess we're pretty much done here. The Romans are clearly going to surrender. Except the Romans. And part of Rome's history, and it's an underrated part of their history. You can argue it got a lot of their people killed, but an underrated part of their history is Rome simply never, ever, ever surrendered. Even when they very clearly should surrender, they have no business going on. It was just one of those things, I mean, it's not on the table. We're not considering it an option at this time. (laughs) That's how they did business. And Hannibal was reportedly shocked, which it would be shocking. I mean, you, you win one big battle, that can do it. 
Two, almost guarantees it. Three, they're finished. And Rome's like, no, nah, we'll we're, we're going to get some more people together. Don't worry. We'll be back. Only, well, Rome wisened up a little bit. They didn't like this, but they appointed a man. I'm not going to go into all the details on him to run their military strategy. And his military strategy was genius. It was absolutely genius. His military strategy was, okay, we're not, we're not going to fight Hannibal anymore. Not in these huge battles. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. We clearly cannot beat this person, which is quite a concession if you're Rome. This is not somebody we can defeat here. Let's just avoid him. Let's just send our army all around him. Let's destroy crops. Let's just never fight him. And it drove Hannibal insane. In case you're wondering why Hannibal didn't march on Rome after he defeated the Third Army, one of his generals insisted that they should march on Rome, told Hannibal he knew how to win a victory but not how to keep one. Hannibal argued, we do not have the army to take Rome, and they probably didn't. His army was so wiped out at this point, and Rome was heavily fortified, they probably didn't, but Hannibal didn't march on Rome. And so they start avoiding Hannibal. Hannibal does everything in his power to get them to fight. He starts burning down the homes of all the important Roman people. Please come fight me. And they won't fight him. And then Hannibal finally doomed himself. And you know what Hannibal did to doom himself? He decided he was going to take these areas, especially in southern Italy, because Italy wasn't all united behind Rome at this point. Even the people who were lots of these places still hated the Romans. They were there because they'd been forced to be. Hannibal said, well, I need some allies is what I need. Without realizing that his freedom was the reason he was still kicking butt and taking names. And so he went to these various little cities and said, hey, why don't we join forces? You see me kicking the crap out of the Romans. You and I join together, we'll do this together. And they're like, yeah, of course, man, we're on your side. Here's the thing, though. Uh, if Rome gets upset about this and comes and attacks us, you have to come help. And now Hannibal wasn't free. And now Rome started going after these places and forcing Hannibal to go to certain areas. You see, once Hannibal gave up that freedom, once Hannibal... Promised protection? Well, that was the beginning of the end for Hannibal. Finally, the Romans, we'll come back to this in a moment. Finally, the Romans decided, you know, we've had enough of this guy. It's time to play a little bit of offense. Let's get this young hotshot, Scipio, who's been studying Hannibal his entire life. Let's give him an army and let's send him to Carthage. Let's play a little offense. And they did. And obviously Carthage freaked out a little bit and said, uh, Hannibal, we, we need you to go ahead and come back home, please. There's a lot of angry Romans here, and they appear to want to do us harm. And there are some moments in history that I would give up small parts of my anatomy for to be there and see it. I'm talking pinky finger or something like that, at least a piece of it. And there's this infamous scene that apparently happened 
when the lion, Hannibal, maybe the greatest general who ever lived, at the head of a Carthaginian army, rides out and meets with Scipio, the young, hotshot, genius general at the head of a Roman army. And apparently, when they rode out, before they started speaking, they just sat there and stared at each other for a long, long time. Not out of anger, just out of mutual admiration, out of respect, assessing the other one. And then it was go time. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yes. Yes, he does. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole speech between Hannibal and Scipio once they finally did speak. I will tell you one funny thing about it is the armies look reasonably matched. But for some reason, the way he talks, Hannibal definitely sounds like he knows he's already been beaten. Now, that's not normal, and I've never been able to, everything I've found on it, I've never been able to find out why he knows this. He has good troops with him. He has elephants with him. Maybe he just had that much respect for Scipio. I don't know. But the speech is long, and I'm not going to go into all of it. It just The basic premise of it is, this is one of Hannibal's direct lines, is fortune used to be my mistress. I used to be the lucky one, essentially, is what he was saying. I used to be the one who was dominating the world, and now it's clearly going to be you. And they square off. Hannibal had elephants there. Now, there are elephants, and there are elephants, I should clarify. You see, they didn't just get on an elephant on the safari and ride him into battle. These people knew what they were doing. Carthaginians fighting with elephants was something they did. They trained their elephants. Their war elephants were specifically trained for war. Unless you had young ones without very much training. And if you have young elephants without very much training and that elephant gets spooked and loses its mind, and are you picturing an old battlefield with everybody standing close together with spears and swords? And are you picturing what exactly would happen if your own element elephant lost its mind and turned around and started ripping through your own people? Well, remember I said Scipio was a young hotshot, easily one of the greatest generals ever as well. He planned for this. He planned for everything. He had his Roman troops open up their lines so an elephant could not just storm through and smash 20 at a time. He also brought in massive trumpets that were loud. Apparently they were very, very loud. Again, talk about things you would want to see. I want to see that. I want to see Hannibal sending in his elephants first, which he did, 
and Scipio pulling out trumpets and blaring it at the elephants, and apparently the elephants freaked, turned around, tore through Hannibal's left flank, his own elephant. Hannibal's uh, Hannibal's cavalry took off to fight Scipio's cavalry, only Scipio this time for once had more. The fighting took place away from the main battle, so Hannibal didn't know what was happening. Scipio's cavalry kicked the crap out of him, partially because Hannibal always used Numidian cavalry. Now, I don't expect you to know anything about Numidia. Just know it's basically attached to Carthage. They were the best horsemen in the world, especially for light cavalry. Hannibal always used them, only by this time they were sick of being ruled by Carthage, and they switched sides. Again, when it's over for you, it ends quickly. So Hannibal's men are fighting. They're fighting valiantly. And then Scipio's cavalry returns and smashes into the rear of Hannibal. Wipes Hannibal out. You never know the real numbers when it comes to these old things. They estimate 25, 30,000 Carthaginians dead. Scipio lost like 4,000. It sounds worse than it is. Understand, when it comes to these ancient battles especially, people were definitely dying when they smashed into each other with shields and such, like you see in the movies. But they weren't dying that quickly. It's If you were to line yourself up in front of me and you were to put armor on your shins and a big armored chest plate, maybe some armor on your arms, a big thick helmet, and then a big shield, and I give you a spear, and then I put on all the same stuff. You understand that, yes, we could hurt each other really badly. We could kill each other badly. But even trained soldiers, it's difficult to land a killing blow when everything you wear plus your shield is specifically designed to prevent me from landing a killing blow. It's violent, it's ugly, it's bloody. We would be cut up, we would be exhausted. At some point, one of us would probably jam that spear through the other's eye, which actually happened there. It's written down. That's one of the ways people got killed. That's one of the only vulnerable parts out there. But again, if you're experienced at all, and we're fighting like that, I know you're trying to hit my eye. I have my shield up. What I'm telling you is, It's not like in the movies where you just run out and Brad Pitt's in Troy playing Achilles and he pulls out a sword and just slices down 90 people before anyone can move. It's difficult to kill someone who's in front of you with a shield up trying to kill you too. It's just, it's not as easy as it sounds. Where the death came in these old, old battlefields, the death came in the retreat. The death came when... You and I are fighting, and I throw my spear down and turn around and run the other direction because I'm scared. Now you're spearing me in the back. Now your horsemen are spearing me in the back. And that's why the casualties were so bad for Carthage. Hang on, our story's not quite done yet.
Now, Hannibal's story wasn't done. He didn't die at the Battle of Zama. He actually went back and pretty much took charge of Carthage. As you can imagine, he was well thought of back then. The The Second Punic War was over. And as you can imagine, he wasn't really well thought of in Rome. Now, when I say not well thought of, understand this. The Romans hated his guts. The Romans wanted him dead. The Romans were going to do everything humanly possible to make sure he was dead. But you can hear, I mean, most of the writings we have about Hannibal, they're Roman writings. They're not Carthaginian writings. The respect comes off the paper. You can tell Romans respected the fact this dude was a man-child. An absolute beast. But eventually, because if you thought the sanctions from the first war were bad, they were nothing compared to the Second Punic War. Essentially, the Second Punic War, the sanctions were so bad, the Romans were essentially guaranteeing, we're just going to come right back here really soon and kill you all. Consider this a brief, brief break from us slaughtering you. We'll talk about the third one here in a little while. Not on today's show, at another time but Hannibal eventually gets run out of town because Rome's like, ah, have Hannibal leave. And now you have the aging general going all over the Mediterranean. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Full disclosure, I hadn't really, it's not now, it's not like I plan anyway. I don't plan things. I hadn't really planned on doing Hannibal for the first hour. That that was supposed to be about 20 minutes. <laughs> Look, I can't do coronavirus all the time, people. I love Hannibal. So I just went with it. <laughs> I went with it. Now... How did Hannibal end? Well, bounced around. And when I say bounced around, when you're Hannibal Barca and you're not welcome in Carthage anymore, they got their own problems. There's still a market out there for somebody who's made an entire lifetime beating the crap out of Romans. That was not something a lot of people did. So he was essentially a hired gun, a hired consultant. Various kings who wanted to rebel against the Romans or were trying to hold off the Romans. Hannibal would show up and, hey, uh, you're looking for a hand here. I know I know how to do some of this. So you get hired on and run out and hired on and run out. But eventually, Rome caught up with him. You see, Rome didn't forget about Hannibal. And his story ends in a way that has always bummed me out. You know I get bummed out when these great generals, when these great men, when they die in ways that I don't view are appropriate. But what is appropriate? If we all got to go, what is, what is an appropriate way? I wanted, I wanted Hannibal to die with a spear in his hand. 
But he dies on the run like a common criminal as the Romans are chasing him down all over the place. Finally, he finds himself holed up in a villa. The Romans have surrounded the villa. Hannibal has poison with him. Hannibal says, quote, Let us now relieve the Romans of their fears by the death of a feeble old man. And he drinks their poison, and Hannibal dies. Now, what was Hannibal's critical mistake in all that? What was it? Hannibal was doing fine. Everything was working out fine. Until Hannibal decided he wanted to start promising people protection. Protection is the death of freedom. Not just of Hannibal and his freedom to march all over Rome and kick the crap out of everything. As soon as you tie yourself down, as soon as you make commitments of protection, so often throughout history, there are a million examples of it, you have doomed yourself. What are we dealing with right now? Obviously, coronavirus, right? And I don't need to belabor the point at this exact moment about how disastrous I think these lockdowns have been. But really, if you want to get down to it, it's not just the debt we've piled up. It's not just the job loss. It's not just the suicides we're already seeing skyrocket, alcohol abuse, alcohol sales are through the roof. I'm not judging you. I've been doing it too much myself. Drugs. I've been huge into drugs. I'm kidding. I haven't been huge into drugs, but still. Child abuse, spousal abuse, it's, it's been horrible, right? But beyond that, what we did was our government, federal, state, and local government, they made a decision at the very beginning of this. And that decision was quite simply this. They told the public that they would be protected. And now that genie doesn't go back in the bottle. Now we're at a point where people were realizing how disastrous and destructive these shutdowns are. And you see places like like Texas, I'll talk about them in a few, they're going to start opening up, and, and other states are going to follow suit, and we're going to start opening up. But here's the problem. You promised me I would be protected. And as soon as I get that in my mind as, as a citizen, that's tough to unravel. As soon as I get that in my mind as somebody in the government, I have to protect them. Well, how do you look at them now and say, I can't protect you anymore. I need you to go back to work. We have these food supply chain problems. Tyson came out and said, hey, we're about to have a big meat problem. We're having a huge meat problem. In Smithfield, they're, I believe, the biggest producer of pork in the country. They said, yeah, not only are we having a supply chain problem, uh, my workers don't want to come to work now. 
They feel like they've been unfairly put upon. And why wouldn't they feel that way? The government told all of America, everybody stay home or it's unsafe. If you leave your, if you leave your house, it's unsafe. If you don't stay home, you're going to die. Stay home. Everyone's going to die. Oh, what's that? It's May 1st. All right, everybody, back to work. Well, wait a minute. So I'm not going to die anymore? Has that changed? Is, is that different now? You've got these workers at Smithfield. I'm not even I'm not even criticizing them. Well, I don't blame them. Well, wait a minute. You've told everybody they have to stay home or they're going to die, but I have to go to work. How's that work? That promise of protection is going to be a millstone around our neck for the foreseeable future. And it is going to take time and it is going to take commitment to unload it. It is. And you know what else it's going to take? It's going to take politicians being willing to step up and tell people hard truths they don't want to hear. You know I'm all about those, right? Remember, I'm not your mommy. I'm your daddy. I'm telling you the way things are. It's going to take a politician stepping up to the microphone and saying, you are not safe. Life is not safe. This virus is not going to be gone tomorrow. It's not going to be on May 1st, June 1st, July 1st. And you know what? If history is any indication, we might have a second wave that's worse than the first wave. We are going to do everything we can to take the appropriate precautions, but you have got to get back out there and live your life. And you know how many politicians are going to say that? Let's start at zero and work our way up from there. Even here in Texas where I live, Governor Abbott, good governor, happy with him. He's opening up, right? Woo, Texas is opening up. Ah, kind of. Abbott said, this is from texastribune.org, first to open, this is going to be Friday, retail stores, restaurants, movie theaters, and malls, but they will only be allowed to operate at 25% capacity. Well, That's not opening. That's dipping your toe in the water to see if it's safe. Abbott said a second phase of business reopenings could come as soon as May 18th, as long as the state sees, and I quote, two weeks of data to confirm no flare-up of COVID-19, end quote. So we're going to get back out there slowly at 25% capacity, As long as it's safe. Again, that's not hard truths. Frankly, and again, I'm an Abbott fan. That's not leadership. That's dipping your toe in the water. That's telling the public, I promise I'm going to protect you. We have got to shake this mentality. Or it's going to be our doom. The Jesse Kelly Show.
If I were to tell you that if you leave the house today, you walk out your front door today, there is a 50% chance you're going to die the second you breathe fresh air. And I tell you that, and I bring up a doctor to tell you that. Doc steps up there, white lab coat. If you leave the house, 50% chance you're dead. And then I bring in a scientist, and he says, if you leave the house, 50% chance you're dead. And I show you a study, and it says, if you leave the house, 50% chance you're dead. And I tell you this day after day after day after day after day. And now the time comes. I need you to go get the mail. How am I going to convince you to go get the mail? We are facing now an issue where we need to open. We need to open like yesterday. Let's just acknowledge that. But, okay, we need to open right now. And we've told everybody they're going to die or their grandma's going to die if they leave the house. And the problem is we're telling people to open without telling them they need to change their mindset. You don't need to go get the mail. That's not what I need to tell you. What I need to tell you is, okay, there's no longer a 50% chance of you dying. Go outside. You see the difference? We need a mindset change. And these politicians lack the leadership, maybe lack the political capital, whatever, Maybe they like the balls, to put it too frankly. But they need to lead. They need to stand up and tell people, okay, there's a very tiny percent chance you're actually going to get sick and die from this thing. Get back to work. And nobody wants to do that. And you know why they don't want to do that? As long as we're offending everybody again today, Chris. Because we live in the scared suburban mom society. Don't yell and scream at me. Well, you're welcome to. Jesse at jessikellyshow.com. Jesse at jessikellyshow.com. Or, you know what? You're welcome to call in. 877-377-4373. 877-377-4373. You're welcome to scream at me. I don't mind people disagreeing with me. You're welcome to agree. Call, email, that's fine. But I am in this white suburbia society. Okay, so I'm speaking from experience. Not just things I've heard from people, although I've heard plenty of that. I'm telling you how I personally live. I am not in Washington, D.C. I am not in New York City, much as I love New York City. I am in the suburbs of Houston, Texas. I am surrounded by these suburban moms. And what we have now is the hand sanitizer society. We have the suburban moms who run their homes. And they shouldn't be running their homes. Ah, you can't say that. Screw you. I can say anything I want. It's my show. I can say anything I want. 
and I'm grateful I've never been told, stop saying that. Oh, we've gotten in trouble. I'll just come say it again, though. And once you let that happen, once you let the scared suburban mom make all the calls, honey, with your permission, can I go golf with my buddies this Friday? Well, then you get what we have now. You know what both parties try to go after in every single election nationally? Suburban moms. You know what suburban moms want? No, they're not evil people. I'm actually not crushing them as much as I'm crushing men. You know what they want? Well, what every woman wants. Safety. Protection. A woman uniquely cares for her children. My wife does. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. I wouldn't change it for the world. But if your whole life, if all the decisions get made based on protection, then you never live. My wife may not want my boys to do backflips off the trampoline because somebody may get hurt. And to be honest, I look at it too and I think, ooh, someone might get hurt. But I let it go because you got to live. Getting hurt's part of life. And we have now run our politics as nobody should get hurt. If it saves one life. What kind of illogical insanity is that? You can't torpedo a 330 million person nation if it saves one life. What kind of mindset is that? It's the scared suburban housewife society. That's what we live in now. It is. I don't care how mad it makes you. It is. Uh, I I caught I I I I'm going to my Facebook group. I just caught two teenage boys riding bikes without helmets. I just saw, and I'm not making these up. These are all real. In fact, they're all from my area. I just saw five boys playing basketball in the public park. I've already called the police. We need to get these basketball hoops removed so these kids can't play anymore. Chris, do we have the audio of the teacher yelling at the kids out playing? I'm not making things up, people. This is where we live now. All about protection. Does anyone know if the gate is fixed? Listen to this. This is a lady yelling at two teenagers outside playing. This lady's also a teacher. Am I screaming loud enough that you can hear me over your music? Park. Wait, can we go over there? Is that crazy enough for you? Can we go over there? Park closed the whole area. Get it through your thick head. You are the reason we are in this situation. You are the problem, not the solution. Go ahead, keep recording. Who are you going to show it to? Post me on social media. You're the idiot doing the wrong thing. I'm just trying to save your ass and save your life. But die. Okay, I hope both of you get the coronavirus. I hope you both die along painful death. Cool. I didn't edit that. On my life, that's not one of Chris's little parodies. That's a real person. That's, and you can see the video. It's all over online. You know what, Chris? 
post that video on the Jesse Kelly Show Twitter feed so people can watch this deranged lunatic too. If you want to follow the show, it's at Jesse Kelly Show on Twitter. If you want to follow me, and I'm amazing, it's at Jesse Kelly DC on Twitter. It's King Suburban Mom right there. Obsessed, protective, anxiety-ridden. Everybody has to be safe. We can't live like this. Ah! With a husband who won't say, okay, enough of that. Stop yelling at the teenagers. Let the boys play, woman. It's what we are. We have to do a a complete shift of this society in the way we think. And that is difficult because it seems insurmountable, doesn't it? I can hear what you're saying right now. Well, how are we supposed to do that? Well, like everything, one step at a time. Start in your house. Start with your neighbors. Start with your kids. Remember, next generation is theirs. Joining me now, somebody who has been on top of this thing from the beginning, and he and I share some of the very grave concerns we have from here going forward, political strategist, friend of mine, Dave Reboy. Dave, what's going on in the Trump White House? Hey, uh, I've, got, uh, I've got no idea. <laughs> it, seems like from one, it seems like from one day to the next, they're, uh, they're on a good path. And then they go and they do something that's a little silly, and then they're back on the right path the next day. Um, I, honestly, I can't say that that I blame them all that much, considering what the polling is probably looking like. And they're looking at the polling. Obviously, they want to um, uh, they they want to be on the side of of the American people. They want their policies to to be popular. Um, I understand that everyone does who's uh, who's who's in politics, um, but uh, I think they're looking at these numbers uh, from from uh, polling assets, seeing that you know eighty percent of of, uh, of Americans are supporting um, kind of draconian lockdowns and and uh, you know the equivalent of infinite detentions uh, of the economy, and they're saying you know they're kind of I think they're scratching their heads like we are thinking. What what exactly is going on here? Because um, it's it seems to um, it, it seems to be beyond belief that most Americans are are willingly and happily driving uh, this country into uh, you know into into another depression. Um, so I think that explains that, their their confusion. Where do you stand on that as far as? what the country believes because let's let's just be honest i I would be totally frank with you as you know 
never do I have, have I said something like this before, but I am genuinely extremely disappointed in the majority, I guess you could call it, of my countrymen, because you're right. Poll after poll after poll shows Americans are fine with this. As we drive the country into a Great Depression, Americans are still cheering this on. Are we different? Is there bad information? What happened to America? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's the issue that a lot of us are, 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 are grappling with here. Um, I'll tell you that the people who I, you know, we all, we all live in bubbles to, to a great extent. Um, but, uh, but the people who, who I interact with are very concerned about the economy. Uh, they're not unconcerned about, uh, about uh, you know, potentially getting the virus and, and, uh, and getting sick and dying. But they're also, they also seem to be um, aware that this can't go on forever or else we destroy our, you know, you know in addition to our economic life, our civic life uh, in this country. I don't know. I mean, I think something has, has definitely happened over the last uh, 10, 20 years or so to the American psyche uh, on one hand. What happened, Dave? Um, and- what happened to the American psyche? What I need to know. I can't figure it out. Is it... Is it? I have been calling it the scared suburban mom society that we live in now. Is that wrong? Am I off base? I think I, I think that's perfect. I think that's perfect. Um, I would I would even um, add uh, you know add add some some men to that formulation too because it's I, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's exclusively moms, but it's that you know it's it's that attitude. I, I think that um, that uh, something uh, I observed recently was that for a whole segment of the population educated in the last, you know, let's say 20, 20 years or so, there's no comprehension of a, a catastrophe or an apocalypse that is not natural. So we think of climate change. We think of all these kind of scary things that, that you know, the, 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 the left has told us is going to destroy society and it's going to be terrible and the ocean's rising and, um, you know, and, and all kinds of terrible things coming from nature. But we lost our, um, our sense of history and we lost our, our imagination for how to wrap our, our heads around what happens when there is an economic depression. Um, I think that our great-grandparents and our grandparents, um, you know, have, have, you know, many of them, most of them have, have left us. And they're the last ones who remember it being really, really bad economically. Now, this is a special case, you know, as you know, because on one hand, so many people are out of work, an insane amount of people are out of work, but they also can't find other jobs because everything is closed. So, um, you know, it, it is an unprecedented situation, and you would think, you would think that, um, that uh, people would have had enough of this. I mean, I, I, I've been out there screaming. I know you have. Uh, we've been saying pretty much the same thing for the last, uh, you know, for the last two months now, that uh, at a certain point, the American people will get tired of this. And I guess the answer is that, um, that uh, they, they haven't gotten tired of it. I, I mean, I, I'm certain that they will. I'm certain that they'll be fed up at some point when the, the bottom really drops out. It's just a matter of I mean, how depressing is the thought that we may have to wait until, you know, un, un, until, you know, the real horror show 
out there goes on before uh, b- before there's a, there's a change in sentiment. Dave, nobody wants to believe this. Uh, I firmly believe Donald Trump's reelection chances are in dire, dire straits. I'm not cheering for that. I voted for him last time. I'll vote for him again. Happily, I'll try to convince others to do so. But 50,000 votes is the reason he's president. That's it. And if you have 30 yep. million unemployed people in November, I think he's toast. Am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong. Oh, God. Um, I mean, I, I, uh, unfortunately, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I think that, uh, you know, obviously I'm going to, uh, I'm going to vote to, uh, to, uh, to reelect the president, and, uh, and I'll, I'll support those efforts. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not looking, it's not looking good. And I don't think he helps himself, for example, by, uh, by, by, um, talking about reopening on one hand and then going back and sort of proving that he was initially misled about 2 million dead and some of those kind of, um, uh, absurd numbers and projections that came out initially that. That sort of caused all this. Um, the fact that he still believes that um, you know that that we avoided a a major um, kind of uh, you know two two million type of uh, catastrophe is 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 kind of dispiriting. I thought that he would be a lot more. Um, uh, I thought that he would be a lot more. Skeptical of the um, of the expert opinion, but look, he's dealing with an unprecedented situation in the sense too of uh, of the media, and and I I don't think we should forget about the media here. We we've, we've thought for the last uh, couple of years, you know, after after um, you know, I mean, Trump's victory was a real victory over the media itself, and we thought, hey, maybe these guys have a lot less power than we thought, and they've tried everything. They've Throwing the kitchen sink at this guy, and they haven't been able to uh, to to score a victory and to throw throw uh, Trump out of office. Um, but with this, I think we see that they still have a whole lot of power, and they're still able to, you know, they're still able to terrify eighty percent of Americans. Um, I mean, that's really that's the only way that I can explain this. Uh, people who haven't followed politics. Or who don't follow politics, who you encounter on the street and in and in gyms and supermarkets and 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 wherever, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, they they knew nothing about the virus, but then, boom, one day, they they all went and they all bought masks and they all became hysterics. Yeah, political um, strategist and, Dave Reboy. Dave, thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you. All right, you too. Take it easy. It did come so fast, didn't it, Chris? Chris, have you seen this basketball show on ESPN about the Bulls' last dance? You're so lame. Jordan's a little different. Hang on. This is virtually worthless. I ask him if he's seen that show, The Last Dance, on ESPN. And he says, no, the white Jewish kid has not seen that last dance. Jewish people don't like basketball? 
That's not true. I mean, New York, what, what place has more Jews in America than New York? New York City loves basketball. Jews specifically of New York loves basketball? I don't know. I don't know. I think my, shoot, I have a lot of Jewish friends in New York. You know, now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever discussed hoops with them. (laughs) How about that? If you want to call the show, 877-377-4373, 877-377-4373. Feel free to leave a message. If we don't answer, we ignored your call. I'm just kidding. If we don't answer, he was probably on the line with someone else. Just leave a message. Or you can email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. If you missed any part of the show, remember, the whole show is podcasted at the end of every show. It's on iHeart. It's on Google. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. It's right there on iTunes. Click of a button. Heck, I'm pretty sure you can just subscribe to it on iTunes and they'll automatically download the daggone thing. Enjoy it. Now, anyway, this show, Last Dance. I'm not going to ruin it for you, and don't worry about spoilers. I can't spoil it because I actually didn't see yesterday's show. I didn't see yesterday's version of it. But one of the parts, I think it was from the first episode that really hit me, is how different people are, how driven people are, the, the moral compass of people. Now, everyone knows I don't have a moral compass at all. I have no, virtually no grounding whatsoever. I'm just flapping in the wind over here, Chris. Whatever whatever I think of next. And there's this moment in the show where Jordan, I mean, he's this driven kid. It's, it's funny. He gets to North Carolina to play college basketball, and James Worthy was already there, and they have James Worthy on the show. And he said, when he got there, I was better than him for about two weeks. <laughs> Jordan was just obsessed. He was just obsessed. He would never stop. The dude wanted to be the greatest, and he gets drafted. He goes to Chicago, and apparently, now I didn't know this. This was before my time. I was born in 81. This had to be 83, 84, so I was not aware of the inner workings of the Bulls when I was three. But apparently the basketball culture there, and apparently around the NBA, if you listen to people, was really bad. When I say really bad, I mean cocaine bad, like really bad. Marijuana bad, really, really bad. Now, I will admit, full disclosure, I'm not a, I'm not a cocaine guy. I would not. What, Chris? We're not, are we not allowed to talk about this? I'm not a cocaine guy. I, I, I'm, I've, I've done it one time in my lifetime. Am I not supposed to talk about this on the show? Whatever. I'm talking about it. It's my show. I've done it one time. I thought it was absolutely miserable. I do not get the appeal at all. I was up all night. Oh, yeah. That, oh, it's totally expensive. Too. Chris, of course you would worry about the money. We're talking about hard drugs that kill people. And Chris is like, it's expensive, too. Gosh, you are so stereotypical. I tell you what. Either way, do not ever even bother trying it. I'm, I'm legitimately telling you that. I would tell you if it was fun. It was miserable. I'll never get why people like it. You're up all night. I love to sleep. I love to eat. I wasn't hungry. I think I had like 10 beers, didn't even feel it. It was miserable, absolutely miserable. Dumbest thing I've ever done. Well, no, actually, it's not even probably top 10 dumbest things I've ever done, but it was definitely very, very stupid. I'm not a huge drug guy. It's it's just not a drug person. Don't become a drug person, especially when it comes to cocaine. 
Cocaine is like gambling. It's one of those things, no matter how much money you make, you can go broke if you do it. Multi, multi, multi-millionaires have gone broke off cocaine, have gone broke off gambling. You just, it's its a mu- gigantic money suck, and it's horrible for you. Absolutely. I'm, look, I'm not your dad. You know I don't moralize on the show because I'm not qualified to do, show, do so. I'm worse than every single one of you. I did it once. It's miserable. Don't do it. It sucks. It's terrible. That said, Jordan gets to his team, and apparently the Bulls were horrible when Jordan gets there. I guess he's the best player on the team basically immediately. Shows up. He's looking for his teammates. I think he was going out for a bite to eat or something. This is all from the show. And goes up to the hotel room door. Here's one of his teammates' hotel room doors. And he gives it a knock on the door. And the dude opens it up. Jordan gets in there. And there's weed everywhere. And cocaine everywhere. And alcohol everywhere. And girls everywhere, and pretty much the entire team was that you, you. Jordan said it was one of those great moments, Chris. That a, a small moment that people missed, I'm sure. Jordan said pretty much or almost everybody was there. I forget exactly what he said. Look, it was every single person was there. You just, if you're smart enough, like Jordan. You say pretty much everybody or almost everybody, therefore giving any guy who was on that team an out to say, hey, dude, I wasn't there. <laughs> what? Well, I was the one dude who wasn't there. I'm pretty sure everyone else was there. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, oh, shoot, we're running out of time again. These stupid breaks. Hang on a second. I'll finish my story. And we have to talk about dogs. I'll, tell, I'll explain in a second, Chris. My life is over. is such a degenerate or a wannabe degenerate of course he's you know this good jewish kid but he actually asked me during the break because we have the worst conversations during the break if i was putting if i was putting one on and lying about cocaine not being fun dude i'm not i'm not lying 100 it was miserable and i'm not the only one who thinks that i've known other people who've tried it it's miserable man i i'm a big again i'm not a big drug guy though so maybe i'm not the one to ask but when I get off work, I like to just chill, man. I want to just chill. If you're one of these people who likes to bounce off the walls, you know, and you know, swing around with glow lights and go to raves or whatever people do. What, Chris? I've seen Scarface. I don't know. If you're one of the people who likes to do that stuff, maybe it's right up your alley. Legitimately, you've never heard me tell you not to do something terrible on this show because I've done everything terrible. Don't bother trying. It sucks. Shoot, I'd be more worried if I liked it than if I didn't like it. The daggone stuff's so expensive, plus you end up in jail. It's absolutely no fun whatsoever. I don't want to get put in handcuffs again, Chris. Oh, that's another story entirely. We don't have to go into all that today. We'll have to break all that down. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Anyway, so Jordan, he walks into this room, and he's a rookie. I mean, he's the young guy on the team. 
and all the crap. We're out of time again. Hang on a second. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. All right, Jordan walks into the room. Whole team's there. Cocaine, weed, alcohol, women, everywhere, right? And Jordan says, I'm leaving. And he turns around and leaves. And it occurs to me the kind of inner strength or inner drive it would take to do that. Maybe it was just he grew up, you know, good family values in North Carolina. By all accounts, his parents were caring. His dad seemed a little harsh. but That takes some kind of inner strength, right, Chris? Look, I'm telling you right now, And I'm not bragging about this. I'm not proud of it at all. The chances that I'm walking out of that room are real slim. I mean, now I would, but 21, 22-year-old Jesse walks into a room with that kind of trouble. I'm probably locking the door and saying, let's roll, boys. The party is here. And I guess I had a moment. It was a slightly serious moment for a basketball show. I had a moment where I thought to myself, man, I would much rather my kids turn out like that than turn out like me. I want to raise sons. You don't agree? What? Okay, that's a fair point. Chris says my life experience is more colored. That that is a fair point. But there's colored and then there's stained, bud. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. I want my sons to grow up to be the kind of men at 20, 21, 22 that walk into a room full of cocaine, weed, alcohol, and women and turn around and walk out because it's the right thing to do. And you don't seem to agree. And what's funny is I talked to a buddy of mine last night, and he said the exact same thing you said. I mean, almost verbatim. He said, but yeah, but where would you get all your stories and stuff like that? People, you don't want these stories. You may, you enjoy these stories because they're someone else's stories. That's not a story you want for your kids, for yourself, right? You say it's not the stories, it's the experience. There are a lot of experiences out there you don't need, Chris. I, I never did heroin. Like I said, I'm not a big drug guy. And I promise you when I'm laying on my deathbed one day, I do the deathbed thing a lot, which sounds morbid, but it's just how I try to live my life. I promise when I'm on my deathbed one day, I will have a laundry list of things I wish I had done differently. I won't be laying there saying, gosh, if I could have just shot up, my life would have been complete. It's not going to happen. It's absolutely not going to happen. All right, I don't know how I got distracted with that. Probably because I'm trying, Chris, I'm trying trying to cover up the pain. 
allow me to explain. I grew up with dogs. So don't scream at me. You're welcome to call in, though, if you want. 877-377-4373. You're welcome to call. Or email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I grew up with dogs. I cannot stress this point enough. I liked, past tense, I liked dogs. I still don't hate dogs. I'm not a dog hater because you really have to be kind of a soulless monster to be a dog hater. I'm not not a dog hater. I go over to my neighbor's house. The dog comes up to me. I'm not thrilled about it, but I'll give him a little pet, a little scratch behind the ear. It's fine. But for whatever reason, I'm not a dog guy anymore. I don't enjoy your dog. I don't want his wet nose pressed up against me. More than anything else, I'm upset with you rather than your dog because your dog runs up to me and jumps up on me and scratches my legs up when I walk in the door, which tells me you don't discipline your dog. Or your dog does something even worse, and that's when I'm eating, and you know how seriously I take food. Remember, half the time I don't talk to my kids while I'm eating, and your dog will come charging up to me and sit there staring at me begging while I'm eating because you spoil your dog and feed him food scraps all the time or even worse you are an empty nester and you bring your dog into the various workplaces out there i told you i used to sell rvs and people especially empty nesters would show up with their dogs they would show up with their dogs to walk in hundred fifty thousand dollar rvs Oh, this is my little Billy. We love him. Oh, look, he's peeing in the corner. I better go clean that up. I I can't. Allow me to explain this very, very frankly. I understand. For whatever reason, empty nester, never had kids, whatever the reason. I'm not judging. I understand your dog is like your child. I get that. Totally fine. But it is critical. Absolutely critical for you to understand your dog is not a child to everybody else. Your dog is a dog. It's a pet. It's your pet. Unless you have been specifically invited to do so, your dog has no place in a restaurant, in somebody's office environment. It's your dog. It is an animal, a great animal. Dogs are great animals, loyal. All the, I'm not saying it's not. However, I don't care how twisted up your mind has become. Your dog is a dog. I just feel like everybody needs to hear that right now. So over the years, I've grown. Is resentful a bad word to use there? Not resentful. I've, I'm turned off. I'm turned off. And I have to explain something else as I try to, you know what I'm doing right now, Chris? I'm trying to make myself out to be a good person. And I don't know why, because I'm not. I I talk to people all day long. I talk to you for three hours a day. That's what I enjoy doing. And then as soon as I'm done talking to you on this radio show, I go and I do a TV show for an hour a day. It's The channel's called The First. It's on Pluto TV. So I talk four hours total. 
all day long. I talk politics. I talk life, as you notice. I talk food. I talk about all the things I care about. It's not just a political show, and it never will be. I on Everything I have on my mind, and I mean everything, as you can probably tell, gets talked about on this show. We talked about doing cocaine today. I talk about all of it. So when I'm finally done, when I walk in the door at night, I have a wife. I have kids. I don't want another responsibility. I don't want another obligation. When I sit down, finally, at the end of the day, I don't want to sit down in dog hair. When I step out in my yard, I don't want to step in the dog crap my kids forgot to clean up. I just don't want to end. Oh, on top of this, if the day comes when... I can just have an adventure, and this has happened to me more than once where a random adventure will fall in my lap. I don't want to ever be held back by the dog. That is honestly a huge part of it. Oh, hey, Jesse, so-and-so called. They want you to come up and drive tanks in East Texas with them. There's, I'm not making that up. There's a place where you can drive tanks in East Texas, real tanks. Um, okay, I'm going. I don't want that ever to turn into, well, I mean, I would, but I don't have somebody to watch the dog. That would be death for me. I'm all about life experiences. I'm all about the big adventure, as everybody can tell. And that extra obligation holding me back is part of why I don't want the dog. However, I have a wife who loves animals. I have two sons. Brings me to my current problem. They want a dog. Now, my sons, I need to explain something because I can already tell everybody's going to think I'm a monster. The reason we don't have a dog already, one of the main reasons on top of my own desires, is my oldest son has a pet hair allergy. Now, it's it's bad but not dangerous, I guess I should say. It can get really, really, he gets hives and his eyes get super itchy and he gets miserable. I mean, absolutely miserable. So he's not dying, but the kid is miserable and he's a rambunctious kid. I mean, he never wants to stop moving. So I give him, we have to give him Benadryl, which I hate putting drugs into my kids at all anyway. Just not big on that. And we'll do it. I mean, whenever I need a good night's sleep or something, (laughs) I quit Chris. Well, we'll do it, but I just, I don't love that. And especially for that kid, if I give him Benadryl or something that's going to make him zonked out, that's miserable for him. He wants to run and jump and play and roughhouse. If he gets around horses, that's a little different story. His throat can start to close up, but we took care of that. No big deal. However, there are these dogs, which I didn't even know existed, called golden doodles. Clearly, obviously, a mixture between a golden retrieval 
retrieval, a golden retriever, and a poodle. The good thing about these dogs, apparently, is they're hypoallergenic. My son has been around a golden doodle in the neighborhood several times, allergy-free. This was a while ago. Since that moment, they have started working on me, and they're chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And normally, because I'm a huge jerk, I would, I would just say, look, we're not getting a dog. I don't want a dog. But here's the thing, Chris. I feel like I'm being a bad dad not letting my sons have a dog. Isn't that part of every boy's upbringing, or shouldn't it be, is having a dog? One, it's healthy. They say dog uh, owners have way better immune systems because dogs bring so many germs home into the house that it strengthens your immune system. I don't know if you've all heard, but you're actually not supposed to bathe and hand sanitizer 90 times a day. Germs actually help your immune system get stronger. Be that as it may, dogs are good for your immune system. Dogs are excellent, excellent for home protection. It's one of the biggest deterrents out there is do they have a dog, period. They're loud. They hear you. They smell you. It goes way beyond even the biting. I mean, you could have one of those little annoying rat dogs. It's still good, but these things get big. So it's good for protection. It's good protection for my boys. Out and about, going to take off for a while, bring the dog along. Now, my boys, I'm thrilled, thrilled about this. One, I'm thrilled I don't have girls because I see these girls these days and the way they dress, and my girl, my daughter would never leave the house. They would absolutely, she would, she would never leave the house. I'd murder somebody. But part, another reason I like having boys is just this. I'm big. Everyone knows. I'm 6'8". I, I'm, I'm huge. My boys are already getting huge. And they're rapidly approaching that age where I don't have to worry about somebody throwing them in the back of a van and chopping them up into little pieces anymore. That is a good feeling as a parent. Only other parents will understand that feeling. But they're not quite at that age yet. And nobody's going to be stopping to have a long chat with my boys when they have a large dog sitting there on a leash that will rip your throat out. I like all of these things. I like the fact that it'll teach my boys responsibility. All right, you ready for this, Chris? This is, this is the part that's going to get us hate mail. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I like that the dog's going to die. What I mean by that is, remember, I grew up with dogs. I have sadly cried many a tear with a shovel in my hands, burying dogs. That's what we did. We didn't take them down somewhere. That's how I grew up. Dog finally dies. Dog fa- Even if you do have to take him and get put down, you bring that dog back home. You go find a spot on your property. You dig the hole. It's your dog. You say goodbye. You bury your dog. An awful experience. An awful experience that I want my kids to have. Does that make sense? Is that, I'm not trying to, I don't want the dog to die. Except I do want the dog to die, eventually. I want them to have a long, happy time with the dog. And I want them to experience loss. Is that sick? Does that make me a bad person? I want them to experience loss. 
being I'm not saying I want them like me at 38. You don't necessarily want to go through all that. But it doesn't hurt to be a little tougher, a little more jaded, even maybe a little more understanding of of this world. I want it to happen. So yesterday, I come home. I get the long face again about the dog. We have a dog. We have a dog. We have a dog. No, 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 no. Down the line. And then Chris, just like Hannibal, just like Hannibal, when he sought out those cities and offered protection, I made the fatal mistake. I started looking up the dogs. And I started looking up kennels here locally. Who has one here? Who has one there? I've been texting with two or three of them for the past day or so. Now, there are a couple huge obstacles, though. Huge obstacles. Now, granted, we didn't have any money, so this wasn't an option. But we would go to, you know, we'd go pick up a lab for, if I remember right, it was a couple hundred bucks, two or three hundred bucks, and that was a lot of money. Now, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'm almost positive. Clue. Uh, Chris, look up like a black lab or a yellow lab kennel and see if you can get rough prices. And maybe the prices have changed. Maybe I was young and dumb and just wasn't paying enough attention. But that's what I took to be, you know, that's what I took as as prices to be. But these things are like $2,000. How much are labs, Chris? A thousand to two thousand? Okay, I know for a fact we weren't paying that for labs when I was a kid because there's no way we could have afforded that. Dude, I'm not spending two thousand dollars on a dog. No, that's the problem. See, that's the issue. You say go to the kennel. My son, my oldest, if I want them to have a dog, I need him to have a hypoallergenic dog, or I'm gonna have to buy a dog. And then give the freaking dog away right away because I can't have my oldest son torn up all the time. Dude, I can't I can't afford a $2,000 dog. I can't do that. You know what we need? We need a listener to donate one, Chris. I'm just kidding. Don't be donating your expensive dogs. So now I'm in a pickle. But... Long story short, we're going to totally end up with one of these dogs. Maybe you can finance. I hate to even say this. Can you finance a dog? Historic low interest rates right now. You know what I'll do? I'll go to the bank. Interest rates are like 1% right now. I'll go to the bank and get a a $2,000 loan. That can't take that long to pay off. I realize the dog costs more than your first car, Chris. It It costs more than double, more than my first car. Don't tell me about first cars, buddy. You remember, my dad made me sell mine. That sucked. All right, we're going to talk with BK. BK is an Air Force PJ, former Air Force PJ, which are pretty much some of the baddest dudes on the planet. BK also has a podcast, World News with BK, and you're going to learn to get real familiar with BK because he's so daggone good on the radio. We're going to have him on every week at this time. So hang on.
Jesse Kelly Show. host of World News with BK, which is the weekly podcast you need to start downloading, people. You will enjoy it. BK, former Air Force PJ. First of all, before we get into the nitty-gritty here, I've got somebody telling me he thinks Stacey Abrams is kind of hot. BK, <laughs> not my cup of tea. Where do you stand on all this? On Stacey Abrams, yes, uh, yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a no go for me at this <laughs> station, sir. Uh, absolutely not. I don't see. I, I don't know who, what blind friend you have, but I'm sure she's a lovely woman on the inside, no doubt. Uh, but uh, not my cup of tea, Jesse. <laughs> fine, look, fine, whatever. More for me. It's, it's up to you. Be careful. All right. <laughs> We've been talking a lot today about mentality and how even these you know slow reopens while i'm happy with them look i'm not going to yell about progress while i'm happy with them what i don't see is it concentrated effort by these politicians to change the mentality of the public mentality they're partially responsible for telling them they're going to die if they go outside and until we get that changed man what changes well, Jesse, you know, it's interesting The the whole I'm fascinated with the whole sort of madness with of crowds, for lack of a better term, because as you look at people out here and you've seen it in California and you see people get out and about, it's way more crowded outside now than it has been. And you see people kind of adjusting. And what nobody wants to say out loud is, is that the American people, they heard all the dire predictions, right? They said millions of people were going to die. That didn't happen. The social distancing, of course, social distancing was effective. And as they look around and realize that people are not dropping dead by the thousands, they're kind of shrugging their shoulders a little bit and saying, okay, well, you know what? People are going to die and I'm still going to live my life and I've still got to put food on the table and feed my family. And, and it's sort of a new normal. If, if, uh, if you will, you know, and people are just going to people adapt the human human species is probably the most adaptable creature on the planet, Jesse. And if you tell them, hey, you know what, from now on, every year, tens of thousands of people are going to die from these viruses, they're going to shrug their shoulders and they're going to go, OK, well, that's the way it's going to be then. And they're going to move on. And regardless of what politicians say, in my opinion, and I see that happening now. I mean, the beach is open here in San Diego. I'm out there with the glorious tan. The oh abs, the ab veins are oh. popping out as usual, yeah. and uh, you know the beaches are open and people are people are not social distancing on the beach at all. Yeah. I, you know, I was on there yesterday. It's packed. So, well, look, I don't know where those people get off getting sunshine and exercise. I've been told by the experts of this country that's bad for you. But you know what? Actually, I want to go to the Air Force PJ thing. Obviously, this is a rigorous school, way rigorous than anything I've ever gone through and then most people will ever go through. What do they teach you? How do they teach you about mentality, about toughness? I mean, everybody who walks into Air Force PJ school is not Terminator, I'm assuming. How do they drive no. that home? Uh, well, you know, it's it's weird, and it's changed a lot, Jesse. In the old days, you know, it was really like sink or swim. I mean, that's why in the old days you had classes, and you can see some of these plaques on the wall of the classes at selection. 
they would just get like 150, 200 kids and just throw them to the wolves. And they didn't care. There was no preparation. There was no like, you know, mental training. There was nothing like that. And at the end, you know, you'd have the class of 150 and like two guys would graduate. And so then somebody was like, you know what, this is stupid and, and counterproductive. And now it's a lot different. And, and this goes for like most special operations schools from what I've heard, like Navy SEAL Buds, Green Berets. And what they're doing now is a lot more preparation. I mean, they, these guys have, like, you know, nutritionists. They have swim coaching. They have physiologists. They have, like, massage therapists. They have all kinds of stuff. And now guys are much better prepared going in. As far as mentally, I, you know, it's still sort of an individual effort. At the end of the day, it's you in your head, and it's a gut check, and you just got to decide how bad you want it. And that's it, you can't really teach that. How do we get some of that nationwide? I, I, I'm, I really mean that. We live, I've been talking about it all day, we live in the scared suburban mom society now. We just do, where people are obsessed with protection and everything has to be safe and little Billy has to be safe and yeah. safe and safe and safe. And it drives me crazy, man, because life isn't safe. You got to go live. And we have lost that. Whatever that is or however that happened, we've lost it. Yeah, there's, there seems to be, like, a lack of that warrior mentality, and it's unfortunate. But, like, uh, you know, in some ways, maybe we go back to the Spartan model, you know, where we seize these children <laughs> at the age of, like, six months and then start, start rigorous calisthenics training at, like, one year old. I, I, don't, I don't know. But, uh, um, you know, but you know what? You never know, Jesse. And I, and I tell you, I have a lot on my podcast. My audience skews very young and male, and uh, most of them are like want to be in the military. And you know, it's easy for us to look around and make these broad, sweeping generalizations of the American youth because we read the what the media puts out. But I can tell you, just from my correspondence with a lot of young men and women uh, who want to be in the military, that they're believe me, America still has that you know warrior young man and young woman and there's plenty of them out there i talk to them all the time and so i think we're still in good hands and it's up to guys like us jesse to cultivate that to say like you know you can do it and 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 have that influence on on younger generations and show mental toughness and be physically fit and be proud of your country patriotic all that cheesy stuff that you don't get in the you know mainstream media marketplace yeah that's true. It's 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 called cheesy stuff until somebody has to shove a bayonet into a communist Chinese who's invading the country, and then it's called you know I, saving your bacon. I absolutely right, Jesse. I mean, as we speak right now, I'm doing this interview with you in the tiniest shorts you've oh, ever gosh, seen. My my no. thigh, please. my thigh muscles please. are just bulging oh. out of my pants. It's unbelievable, <laughs> Jesse. Just, please stop sharing that with us, please. <laughs> All right, I will. I will only come on your show, Jesse, dressed in very skimpy clothing. That's kind of my new rule of thumb. I know you love it. That's why this is radio and not TV. All right, BK, (laughs) we have a communist Chinese-linked firm that's already targeting school kids with Chinese morality and values. This is according to the National Pulse. We have Chinese spies who've been busted at Harvard. We have Chinese spies who've been busted driving around United States senators, one of your very own, Feinstein from California. Mm-hmm. China very much seems to be taking this stealth war seriously. Are we taking it seriously? I don't expect CIA and everyone else to stand up and put up a billboard every time they're doing something. I'm not one of those idiots. But are we taking it seriously as someone who's been in that world? You know, this is actually the most 
serious I've seen any of our elected representatives take it, but it's sad because they get crapped all over even for bringing it up. I saw you saw Senator Tom Cotton the other day saying like, hey, maybe we need to take a hard look at how many Chinese students are coming into our universities. And that was, you know, that was very everybody was shouting racism at them. But it's the truth, Jesse. I mean, how many tens of thousands of Chinese students come to our universities and then go back home? Whereas compare that to how many Americans are we sending to Chinese universities? I mean, I don't have the figures right in front of me, Jesse, but I'm just speculating that it's way, way, way less than what China is sending over here. And there have been massive issues of uh, IP theft, uh, espionage, and even our own homegrown Americans colluding with the Chinese. Uh, we had that, what, was, a, was that a Harvard professor oh, yeah. a few weeks back I covered on the podcast who was wrapped up in the espionage? Uh, so uh, I, I don't know. And when you have tens of thousands, it's really hard to keep track of every single one of them. So I don't know how they're going to address that moving forward. I'm glad they're at least talking about it. That's for sure. BK, host of World News with B- with BK. We're going to let you go now. Do me a favor. Give Stacey Abrams another look, man. I will. I'll be thinking out her as I crawl back into bed with my uh, very tiny shorts on, Jesse. <laughs> Please go away. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Check out that guy's podcast, man. I'm telling you, it is legit. You don't hear me pumping people's podcasts all the time. You've never heard me pump one like this. It's good, man. Again, I cannot stress this enough. You know how my show you can listen to with the kids? You cannot listen to BK's show with the kids. You cannot. However, it is very good. He is a patriot. He's going to be on every single Tuesday at this time. Love that guy. All right, Chris. One more. Hang on. I've got an animal inside of me. This is Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. After having a lovely day today talking about dogs and Hannibal and cocaine, we're going to have the president's daughter on tomorrow, or the vice president's daughter on, sorry. Charlotte Pence is going to be joining us, so don't ask me how we pull these things off, because I don't know. I really feel like most of my life has been falling backwards into these rare opportunities, and I don't understand necessarily how that happens, but appreciate it. Speaking of not understanding, here's Joe Biden with a little audio cut. And this is Joe Biden reading, very clearly reading from a teleprompter. And if you listen closely, I'm pretty sure he reads the part that he wasn't supposed to read out loud. So thank you all for taking your part, fulfilling a part, being part of the Soul of the Nation Saturday. Thank you for tuning in tonight. And thank all the folks you heard from earlier in the beginning of this event. <laughs> I love that. Thank all the folks you heard from earlier in the event. That was a note to Joe. 
of the, like make sure you list this person or that person. <laughs> but look, Joe, this next audio cut you'll see. Joe understands that we've got a problem right now. All right. We've got a problem. And I'll tell you what we need to do with this problem, Chris. We just need to bang away at it. I would I would get much more engaged in the world. We can't step back. If, in fact, for example, we solve the problem in the United States of America and you don't solve it in other parts of the world, you know what's going to happen. We're going to have you're going to have travel bans. You're going to not be able to do have have economic intercourse around. <laughs> We're not going to be able to have economic intercourse, man. Golly. Let's get married so we can get this done. We got we to gotta, we gotta get married so we can knock out the... <laughs> All right. You know what? Stop, Chris. We're done with that for now. Pentagon reveals U.S. Navy footage of UFOs, confirms the videos are real. This is from SarahCarter.com. Department of Defense released Monday three unclassified videos showing the U.S. Navy's encounters with unidentified aerial phenomena. First video was taken in November of 2004. Oh, thanks for just now getting them to us, fellas. And the two others in January of 2015. Quote, the U.S. Navy previously acknowledged that these videos circulating in the public domain were indeed Navy videos. After a thorough review, the department has determined that the authorized release of these unclassified videos does not reveal any sensitive capabilities or systems and does not impinge on any subsequent investigations of military airspace incursions by unidentified aerial phenomena, DOD said in a statement. They confirmed their validity and said they're releasing them, quote, in order to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating was real or not, or whether or not there are more, there is more to the videos. Okay, so they're confirming there were unidentified flying objects. Chris, be straight with me, 100%. Do you believe in aliens? Do you believe there is life on other planets? You do. See, I do too. And I don't think, well, hold on, what? See, Chris says maybe not hyper-intelligent. I believe 100% in it. And it's not that I believe they've come to Earth. I mean, maybe they have, maybe they haven't. Now, hold on, Chris. Don't be dismissive that fast. Remember that one sweet caller we had? We got to get that lady to call again. Lady, if you're out there, call again, 877-377-4373, or email me. We had this caller. She was the best. Dead serious, and I mean deadpan. She talked about her alien abduction and what they look like and everything else. So I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying they're down here abducting people and doing weird medical experiments and then sending them back down to earth with rare alien Martian diseases. I'm not saying that. But given how huge space is, doesn't it make the most sense? Isn't the probability that there is life elsewhere? Well, you can say that's why you believe it, and that's why you don't think they're here, but isn't that a little arrogant too, Chris? Where's our Twilight Zone music as I talk about this? Um, isn't that a little arrogant? Too? And what I mean by that is, so you're telling me, that's a very, that's very similar to the people today saying, wow, doctors back in the day didn't know what they were doing. 
do you really think you live in that one time in the history of the world where doctors have figured everything out? Do you think everything they're prescribing, everything they're telling you to do today is the right thing? Or do you think 100 years from now they're going to look at some of these things and be, oh, my gosh. Nice, Chris. They used to give mercury to constipated children. During the plague breakout of London, they forced young people to smoke cigarettes. All right. It's all a learning curve for everybody. How are we out of time? I'm I'm just getting going on this. Dang it. What I'm saying. All right. Hang on. I'll explain in just a second. an idiot my way of thinking by the way before i forget if you missed any part of the show the whole show is available on iheart google spotify it's on apple you can go ahead and subscribe on apple and automatically download it and they tell me apparently you can leave five star reviews there so leave five star reviews or not i don't care whatever but anyway Oh, and you can email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Anyway, Chris, by saying that all the other life in the universe is not intelligent, that's saying that we are the first. Is that what you believe? That's stupid. You're stupid. They're not hyper-intelligent. What does that even mean, you idiot? Intelligent. For all you know, they've been around for thousands of years before we even got here, Chris. They might have lightsabers and stuff. I've seen this movie about it. All right. That's all. Jesse Kelly Show. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually my drink was give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam! I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. 
For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.